Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End. My name is John and on the podcast this week, of course, we'll be talking about the very, very delightful 2-1 away win at Crystal Palace. We'll be heading over to Selhurst Park in a few moments uh, to speak with the guys who are at the game. Part two of this podcast will be recorded uh, early this week. Geordie, Mike and I were discussing what we uh, want to happen, what we think will happen and really what's realistically going to happen uh, in the last few weeks of this transfer window for the Hornets. We'll also look ahead to uh, next week's game, the FA Cup uh, and the anniversary of Graham Taylor's death in part three. But let's start. Head over to a windy Selhurst Park where our intrepid team of Mike, Colin and Kieran, who are at the game, to tell us what they thought as the Hornets beat the Eagles. Just come out of Selhurst Park and it's a delightful double for Watford FC this season as we have come back from 1-0 down to win 2-1. Colin and I much happier than we were last time that we were here after surrendering a 1-0 lead and losing 2-1. Mike, that one felt very good, didn't it? At times we maybe weren't in the game, but I think overall we deserved it. Because he can't stop falling over, can't stop. Falling over, he can't stop. Yeah, I mean, yes. What a brilliant result, by the way. We're just talking about what fun away days are when you when you come and get a result like that. We had to fight for that one. It's a magnificent result. I think we deserved it. We were just having a quick debate before we started recording as to whether we deserved it. I think we did. I think Palace are a uh, a poor. I think we're uh, there's similarities between us and Palace. I think they look a little bit shot shy going forward, and, and defensively they they look to struggle a bit as well. So I think we're. Palace, but a lot better, if that makes sense. So I can see similarities, but this was going to be one if we came away with anything other than a point or a, or a win, it was going to be very, very disappointing. So I'll preface it by saying I thought Palace were poor. Watford started brilliantly, I thought. Really, really strong start. Hit the post within 10 seconds of each other. If probably less within the first 10 minutes or so, I think it was. Really, really good chance. We talked beforehand about um, how Will Hughes did really well at Woking. He had the bit between his teeth, started off where he left off again here today. He went off on, I think it was concussion we worked out. Um, he was obviously vehemently protesting about going off, which shows you a little bit about Will Hughes' state of mind, I think, which is great. He went off and the momentum completely shifted. And I think for the rest of the, the, rest of the half, um, Watford struggled, conceded a a silly goal really just carnage at the back and it was a Cathcart own goal in the end and we said at half time Kieran we said that they need to come out firing on all cylinders in the second half because Palace is still there for the taking despite despite being ahead they're not the sort of side that can pack the defence pack the midfield sit back and, and defend they just can't do it so we were quite confident weren't we at half time that we are going to get chances but it was Palace that came out for the second half firing on all cylinders and really put us on the back foot and we thought God, this is going to be one another one that slips through our fingers and funnily enough, I think the turning point for me, it happened right in front of us, was where the ball was in the Palace half of the final third in line with the penalty area, went out for a Watford throw, and the Watford players were sort of meandering over to take it. I don't know how long there was left, maybe 25 minutes to go, half an hour to go, maybe a bit less than that. And Troy Deeney came rocketing over and said, come on, who's taking this, who's taking this, this throw in? And gave the Watford players a rocket and ended up taking the, the throw in himself as a bit of tokenism say right come on let's take this game by the bollocks it's there for winning and that for me was the turning point a switch went on and I thought Watford completely uh, dominated the, the closing stages they got their equaliser a stunning a stunning winner and then really looked pretty composed 
you know you're going to get kitchen sink at the at the end which which happened to a degree but i think Watford deserved that it was a, an up and down game a bit of a curate's egg of a performance but you always get chances with this Watford side you, you're always going to give the opposition chances but we're always going to get chances as well so above anything else i think we deserved it and i'm absolutely over the moon what a win Colin, we were talking beforehand, Mike mentioned there, hit the post twice inside the first five minutes. We lose Will Hughes to concussion. Craig Cathcart scores an own goal in that first half. Was there a point in today where you thought, this isn't going to be our day? Well, I must say, I didn't think, I didn't see a win coming at half-time. I felt that they were in control of the game. We were a little bit lacklustre in the first half. Everyone's running around doing their jobs, but we were overrunning midfield partly because we had, they had three in midfield and we had, we had two because we were playing Delefeo and, and Dini up front and then two wide men. So we, we only had the two men in midfield and we were being overrun. And there seemed to be a, a little bit lacking in kind of directional drive. But in the second half, we were a lot better. And I, and I do think that this is something that is indicative of the whole season in that the kind of spirit and fight and the, and the going to the end and the keep, the keep battling thing has become a bit of a what motif which we haven't always had in the past and I think that that's how we got the result today it was really just a question of will obviously quality but but real will what was a bit odd was we brought on Ken Semmer and played him out <laughs> in his favoured position on the right wing and <laughs> not and uh, within about 20 minutes Javi who I, I have to say I'm I'm uh, he's growing in my estimation because he clearly realised he'd made a mistake and that it wasn't going to open up that wasn't the move he needed to get into the back of Palace. So he took him off, which is always hard. It's humiliating for a substitute to be taken off. But if you're the coach, it's your job. And he took him off, brought Cleverly on, stuck him in the middle of the park. And he scored a kind of ballet-esque. All that yoga he does, it paid <laughs> off today because his foot must have been almost at head height when he hit that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> and, and it flew in. And after that, Palace looked a bit shell-shocked. This has happened to them quite a bit at Sellers Park, they haven't been great at home. But, on the other hand, you could say they were unlucky because they had chances. Saha had a couple of chances, cut inside, shot across the box. There was a few bobbly bits of the, the last 20 minutes where easily someone could have got on it, but they don't seem to have the quality to score those goals. I tell you who I really, really think needs a shout out today, and that is Kiko Firminia, because he worked tirelessly. And Zahar is, however much we hate him, and however much he may chuck himself on the ground, although I have to admit, he does do that a lot less than he used to, and he has slightly worked that out his game and, he and, credit, stop. <laughs> and credit to him for that but I thought Kiko he's a difficult player to mark he's oh, a difficult difficult player to have on your shoulder all game long and I thought Kiko particularly in the first half handled him really well and in the second half needed a bit of help and got it um, we were able to keep him reasonably quiet uh, and we've come away with a win which is a you know which is a fantastic result for Watford we forget you know here we are well, I don't know what we're in. we're still in eighth or maybe we've crept up uh, above uh, Wolves into seventh I don't know but but you know this is this is we've got nosebleeds we're Watford fans you know we, 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 we shouldn't start getting used to this this is unusual and it is brilliant when it happens I don't think I don't think you can under understate how good Zaha is and I know it's a bit not tongue-in-cheek with my chanting and I, I do have an issue with him going down too easily but I also I'm, I'm balanced enough to know that he is absolutely splendid he's a really really difficult player he had us on toast several times today like he does every single game and that's because he's brilliant quite frankly he he is a unless you're a top six defender he is the stuff of absolute nightmares and I think Colin's right to say that he had a for, for Zaha he had a relatively quiet game I thought and that was that's credit to Javi in the way we set up and that's credit to to Firmino and the rest of the boys in the, in the way they handled him um, there were a couple of narky fouls weren't there there were two breaks on and Watford just took the foul took the yellow card do it I'm happy with that I think that's absolutely fine Palace would do that any other any other team in, in the country would do it and I, I think when we're, while we're talking defensively I thought they looked relatively solid for Watford 
Um, it was a bit Keystone Cops at times, wasn't it? Um, but a couple of great saves from Foster. So another one low down to his right towards the end there. Those reflex lock. He, he's in the zone, Foster, isn't he? Um, and I think, you know, it, these are always more difficult. You, you, a decent side is going to take apart Palace, that, that, I think. Yeah. I think they, they, they're low on confidence. I don't, you know, I'm not gloating, but I think they are low on quality uh, and, they, and they, they're struggling. I think a decent side would have taken them apart. So while we're delighted with the win and it's a hard-fought win, I do think I've, I've been one to champion this about Watford, the grit, the never-say-die. I think it did take a bit of coaxing out of them today. That's why I mentioned the, the Deeney moment. I thought they were a bit on their heels and sort of like waiting for it to happen. Well, actually, boys, you're going to have to take this one and make it happen. And, and to their credit, they did. I thought Delafeu had... We saw the best and worst of him again. We saw we so close to, to what we could get from such a great player, but again, decision making poor. And I think the same goes for, for a lot of the other the other players. But he kept going to the end. You said to me, Holly Red, he doesn't go he doesn't go missing, and he doesn't. And what I loved were uh, no concept of time today. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> don't even know the date. But at some stage, it was a rousing rendition of of Delafeu when he was over our side, and that wasn't his best performance by any any chalk at any stretch of the imagination. But the fans recognised his importance recognised that he hadn't gone hiding as you say that he was kept going he kept plugging away really big chance for him and you, you can you know that that's going to make him feel an inch tall and you're going to get another run out of him another another dummy another attempt and that's another two five ten minutes towards the victory so they did enough today I still think there's more from this side and as, as Colin says yeah we're, we're, we're kind of used to it to a, to a weird degree this this sort of hovering around 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th we're not surprised oh we're in 7th we're in 8th it's like that should be amazing and like I said before I think we should be more um, firmly ensconced in there I think it shouldn't be a situation where if we lose one of the teams below us when we drop down to 11th I think we should be firmly ensconced at sort of base camp 2 if you like just yeah, underneath we, that we, we've got the chance to do that we've got Burnley at home uh, which you know we, we should work very hard to, to get the three points against a struggling side and if we do that we'll be on what 35 points or something so we should be starting to get into a little group of maybe three or four up there rather than six or seven the good thing is that we made Palace look back over their shoulder instead of letting Palace start looking up the table yep. because they didn't get points today and, and they need they will need some more points but I, I do again I thought in the second half the, the point about Dini coming over taking the the throw-in and, and, and rousing the troops where they were looking a little bit sorry for themselves maybe and then and then once we were 2-1 up and then you really see what Troy does for this team because he will win headers when the ball comes out because obviously the ball goes in and they're trying to score their equaliser but then the ball comes out someone poofs it or clears it or, or even passes it Deeney can get his head on it and he had Delafeo with him and there was a couple of occasions where he just nods it behind the defender and Delafeo's onto it or he nods it short Delafeo knocks it back to him then he knocks it past the defender for Delafeo to run onto and it's those moments when you think okay we, we are handling this game now okay yeah. they're a tough side and they are throwing the kitchen sink but nevertheless when we get the ball we've got someone it will stick to and we yeah. really needed him today and I thought he really stepped up and showed the value that he still has for us yeah. there's a lot of stuff talked about Troy particularly from uh, uh, from the media and other other people's fans about he's just a big lump oh he's just you know a man who's a bit lippy loves to go on the telly and, and create a bit of controversy but actually what you saw today was his value as a footballer and why we love him at Watford Football Club so much in football is momentum so much is psychology we've seen it a million times the shift we talked about Bournemouth how it changed when the, the challenge the crowd get up and what Troy did he led from the front today he refused bloody mindedly to, to let this game be wrestled from our grasp he wasn't going to allow that to happen and seeing him thundering around the defence think the Palace defence think 
I don't get a minute off here. I can't. I haven't got a time to set myself and, and, and start thinking about how we're going to get this equaliser. They know that they were still in a battle. The difficulty is we've seen it a lot. You sit back, you get deeper, you get deeper, you get deeper. That wasn't allowed to happen today. And that was, as Colin says, that was sheer bloody-mindedness from Troy. And the others bounce off it. Those other guys who can be a little bit flaky from time to time. But Jared Delafay was... He was, he was stood up today and to what right till the end kept going kept going kept going but Pereira as well I thought was getting stuck in we've been critical for him for sort of hanging a leg in and, and complaining that when the going gets tough Troy led from the front he set the tone for that last sort of 20 20 minutes and it was a it was a battle uh, but I think Watford managed it much better than they have done previously they saw it out um, and I think we're, we're worthy winners absolutely thrilled and another really strong base to build on but it's a real not a bonus because I think Palace are poor enough for us to, to not expect. We never expect Watford to win anything. You know, we were talking on the on the terraces at Woking how we're gonna how we're gonna fluff it. So we never expect it. But this is a team that our team should beat. Now let's build on it against Burnley. We've set ourselves a magnificent platform. I God knows have bored everyone, and I'm sorry about it uh, about how, uh, worrying about our turn of year for form. What is there to worry about at the moment? If we go and beat Burnley next weekend, absolutely nothing. And this could be the season finally that we take that giant leap forward as opposed to a few baby steps forward and then a bit a big one back um, I'm excited I'm pleased uh, I'm chuffed and I just like the way everyone contributed today I thought it was great Colin before Christmas John asked us from the Newcastle Chelsea and Bournemouth games how many points we'd like I think we ranged somewhere between four and seven we ended up with two how significant therefore is this win because as Mike there said you know our turn <laughs> of the year form traditionally hasn't been that great but win at Woking last week win today win at Burnley next week potentially how important is today based on the Christmas and New Year period that we have well I don't think we've lost a game since Boxing Day is that, is that correct yeah so we lost to Chelsea since then we haven't lost we beat West Ham drew with Newcastle we've drawn with Bournemouth we've beaten Woking and we've beaten Palace so that's what five five games five six games without being beaten once you get that kind of momentum once you start even if they're draws and, and fans are not happy with the draw like if we've got a point today you get this sense that we're hard to beat it's hard to get over the line against us okay you can maybe take Woking out of that list because obviously they're set to your side but nevertheless we did the job on them so if we can keep this unbeaten run going okay we're going to drop some points with draws maybe away from home or even at home but it's just that it's just that sense that we're a tough side to, to, to beat and I think that's very important we haven't really seen that uh, as Mike just said in, in, in post sort of Christmas January we've, we've, we've tended to have a, a bad run in all three seasons uh, that we've been in the Premier League and hopefully this season maybe with, with Javi at the helm with him signing a new contract which means he's going to be here next season uh, and he's definitely going to be here next season even if we really have a bad second half which I don't think we will because I think he's already done enough to convince that he should be here and then the players know he's going to be here the players know there's competition for players they're training harder they're playing harder their mentality is different they're not thinking well it's, it's February now so we've got enough points we're going to be fine and there'll be a new coach here in, in August and I just you know I'm already thinking about what I'm, where I'm going to go on my holidays that's certainly not going to happen I don't think we've got some tough games but we've also got some some games which other other teams around us won't fancy. So Everton have got to come to our place. West Ham have got to come to our place. Fulham have got to come to our place. Southampton have got to come to our place. Burnley next week. The, the, the top six, we have to play most of them away apart from Arsenal. But so, so it's in our hands really. And I think if we can maintain 
this level of, of commitment, this level of togetherness. It was great at the end of the game to see Gomez running on the pitch, Quino dancing on the pitch with a big smile on his place. Wasn't even in the squad today, but delighted to be in a squad that's winning games. And I think that with Cleverly coming back, Hughes hopefully is just a concussion, so he'll be ready for next week. There's, there's a real sense there's proper quality on the bench and, and you can bring on a player like Cleverly or you can start a player like Cleverly without any uh, worry at all. And hopefully we can just we can keep this going. But this, this game today, this result today, it was massive. I'm absolutely convinced. Probably say the same thing next week, but it definitely feels like it was a big one, particularly as we were 1-0 down and not playing that well. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Mike's surname is Parkin and he has a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now, yesterday, one of the things I think that helped Watford win was Troy Deeney. He's captain, isn't he? He gave everyone a bit of a, a, bit of a rollicking, a bit of a telling off, because I think he didn't think they were trying hard enough. How would you feel if you got shouted at by Troy Deeney? I would feel like I'd forget it and that it didn't happen. Well, you wouldn't take any notice of him? Would you not try harder? I would try hard, but I would pretend that he didn't shout at me. You know he's doing it for a good reason. Yeah. All right, Arlo, have a good week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. So the transfer window is open. Two players going out. Uh, nothing coming in quite yet. So on Wednesday evening, Mike, Jordan and I gathered our brains to have a chat about what needs to happen. If any of you have listened to the podcast for a long time, in fact, if you're listening a, a year ago, this conversation might seem quite similar. The needs of Watford don't seem to have changed that much. But let's see if Mike has his same idea as last year, where one way to get over our problems was to bring back big Colin Foster. It's time for change, or, or, or is it? My thing, Mike, is out of all the transfer windows we've had under the Potsos, there's always been quite... Uh, a major need and especially in the last few seasons in the Premier League it's almost felt like oh my god can we change all 11 Um, because at this point things weren't going particularly well but this is probably the first time I'm not saying it's perfect I'm not saying it's 100% but the need to do lots of change I'm not as interested in as I have been previously yeah, transfer stories have started coming through, haven't they? Jermaine Defoe for, to Rangers, for example, and, and Chelsea making making their signing. And both times I thought, oh, hang on a minute, yeah, the transfer window's open. I've sort of had to be reminded myself that the, that the window's actually open and, and it's January. And I think that, yeah, that, that confirms exactly your point, John. I think it feels like it's going to be a less frenetic uh, window for Watford because, cause as you rightly say, I think the need is less. The season is panning out better than it has done in, in previous previous years. We're not seeing that horrendous drop-off in form that we have done in our previous three um, Premier League campaigns under, under the Pozos. Certainly, as supporters, we feel that there's less need for a dramatic overhaul, whether it's in playing style, whether it's the coach having to pull his socks up, or whether it's um, whether it's new players coming in. So, yeah, I feel not quite as as relaxed as I did during the the Woking game at the weekend, but pretty chill uh, about it. Because as you say, I don't I don't think massive massive changes are required. Although um, it'd be be remiss of us not to say we do need a, f- a few tweaks to the squad, don't we? I think. Yeah, I mean, every, everything needs a little bit of a tweak. But like I say, it's not dire. Question, question for you, Geordie. Who did Watford sign in the January transfer window 
of 2018, a year ago. Do you remember who we signed? Good God. Uh, <laughs> not off the top of my head. Have a guess of one. Go on, one. Uh, Ziegler. No. No. These, these, I've spoiled them off for so many years, they'll run into one eventually. No, I think, I think Ziegler came in, um, in August like, um, 2017. Yeah. Mike, you don't have to guess anybody we signed? Do you know what? I'm going to struggle as well. Um, <laughs> was, it, was it De La Feu? When was De La Feu? De La Feu, yes. We signed De La Feu on loan. Yeah, okay. I, thought, I was thinking of a permanent signing. Trickster. What about the, um, the Argentinian fella um, from West Ham? Zerati. Um, Zerati, yeah. That was 2017. Okay. Last year, it was... Call ourselves Watford fans. Dodi Labacchio. Yeah. Pontus Dahlberg, who went straight back out. Gerard De La Feu. And Ndong. Oh, Didier Ndong. And I've, I've got Jason, we'll, we'll share this on our socials and on, on the, on the formulabookin.com. I've got Jason to, to rate all the players we've ever signed in a January transfer window since 2015 and how much they impacted. He gave Lubacchio one because he did play one game. He gave Dolberg zero because he went straight back out on loan. He gave Didier and Dong zero because he didn't even play. And the only one he didn't think was Delafay. He only got seven because, well, he played some games, he scored some goals, but he was he was out for a little bit. So anything we did last year wasn't actually that impactful on the squad. Uh, the best one, of course, is 2015 because, you know, when you've got Lyon, Guardiola, Watson, Connolly, Motta, they all played a good, added something to our squad ready for that promotion run. But then everything sort of peters out. And I think, you know, we've never really signed someone who you go, man, that's fantastic. I mean, 2016, Suarez, Amrabat, Pantillamon, you know, five, six, six, you know, out of, out of 10. And then, of course, that one, we, we, we signed two great players, Decore and Peñaranda. But they did nothing for at least another six months, if not 15 years, as it's been mm. with uh, Peñaranda. <laughs> so, you know, this is my expectations are yeah well, there'll be some movement yeah somebody will come in but they're not really they would be lucky if they do make an impact because the best window we've had will be 2017 Walter Mozart year where in that window we brought in we well, we confirmed I think Zarati again injury you any scores a four for Jason Tom Cleverly and Mbai Niang Jason was quite generous, I think, with him. He gave him a 7 out of 10. Niang did start quite well for us. I remember me hmm. being on the podcast, being quite excited about him and saying we could almost build a team around him because for the first couple of games, he had a bit of flair and, and we were struggling at the time, weren't we? It was a traditional turn-of-the-year slump. Um, and I thought he might be able to he might be able to um, re-kickstart our season. But I think those the two players we signed last season um, last January John that you mentioned two of them I think sum up exactly why the transfer window is is very difficult Didier and Dong we saw more of him on Netflix than we did in a Watford shirt which um, <laughs> sums up so kind of sums up his, his career but we signed him because he was in a troubled situation wasn't he Sunderland were, were, in, were in difficulties his career wasn't going in the right direction and therefore we were able to pick him up the same with, with Gerard Delefeu really his, his, his career had stalled to a degree he was looking to kickstart it um, I don't think he envisaged himself re-signing for Watford did he it, it felt for all the world at the end of his loan spell like he wasn't going to sign again so I think those two really sum up the players that are available during January those that are looking to restart their career um, who are who have a good reputation like Delafeuve um, a good pedigree looking to restart their career looking to put themselves in the shop window or those who are, who have found themselves in a complete dead end um, and are really struggling and the and the and the parent club wants rid 
um, and which is the case of Didier Ndong. So the difficulty of it's so so difficult, and I think this is you know perceived wisdom across across the board. It's incredibly difficult to pick up a game-changing player during January. If it's a player worth their salt, if everything's going smoothly for them, A, why would he want to move? And B, why would a club want to let him, let him leave for anything other than silly money? So you're running through it... Watford run, aren't going to pay silly money. No, that's right. That's right. And running through it there, John, it, it does bring it into stark contrast how, you know, we've struggled in, in January and I think we have, it felt, feels like we've flailed around a little bit, doesn't it, um, in, in who we've tried to bring in and it's, and it's felt like we've, we've sort of been reaching in the, in, not in the dark, that's not fair, but looking around for something that's going to reinvigorate, re-kickstart our season um, and, and hoping against hope that one of them's going to do it. And if you look back over it, Apart from that championship season, none of them have really gone on to um, to do anything at all, have they? In the in the grand scheme of things, we hope Delafay will be different, uh, of course. Uh, but I think looking back, that's really interesting. Just hearing those names over the past um, three January transfer windows, it really does bring home a what a tricky time it is, not just for us, but but for everyone really. So, Geordie, we've got this. You know, we will have players coming. We we suspect where. And we, we we know they aren't going to be necessarily players that are going to be hit the ground running, uh, be must-picks for the first team of Watford. If anything, there'll be players that will be first picks in about two years' time. But what areas particularly do we need to maybe not buy a player that's going to become number one choice straight away, but we need to definitely have a little bit more, a little more depth, let's say. I think I think when it when it comes to Watford, depth can be anywhere because you know we sign players if they're not going to be for straight away. The fact that we don't need them immediately means that it's because we've got someone who's better than them in the first team who we may may end up moving on by this by the time this new player is ready to play. So I think if we look for the future, we could sign a player in any position. Um, I think the positions that if we were going to bring somebody in who would be making an impact or expected to make an impact this season it'd be fairly unanimous amongst Watford fans that there are two positions perhaps that we that we lack the depth or the quality that we would want and obviously Ben Foster's a fantastic goalkeeper and at the forum Ben Foster was going on and on about how amazing our midfield was so that leaves defence and attack so the two central positions there I'd say are are the two places I expect if we were to bring somebody in that's where they would be I mean I take Mike's point and generally January's a bit of a weird one you, you know, you get more misses than hits. I think it's probably because most of the transfers that aren't for the future are, um, like you say, either desperation from the club who needs a player or desperation from the player who wants to move along. So for that centre-back position, do you want young and thirsty? Is that what we need as, you know, for, for, the, for the, the makeup that we have at the moment? Or is it a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, who is just going to do a job for six months? I don't want someone who's going to come and do a job for six months. I don't think we, we're in a position where we need a job done for six months. Where you know, here, here I am, like touching, um, you know, my head and a wooden table just to be double secure. We're <laughs> unlikely to get relegated. Huddersfield and Fulham are doing the best they can to not pick up points. So I think we'll be okay from that regard. So we don't need someone to like a Red Adair character to come in. I think Watford's policy is to build, and maybe the reason we say we need a centre-back, is because we haven't been focusing on that position in recent years. So maybe we sorted that out. We kind of got the defence sorted when we first came up or as we were coming up. Um, you know, if you look at our, what you call our five first-team centre-backs at the moment, 
Britos, Prodeal, uh, both joined in 2015, Mariapa and Cabaselli in 2016, and Cathcart in 2014. So, yes, we've got Wilmot, who's not, I guess, considered a centre-back necessarily, and Navarro, who can play centre-back, but he's mainly a right-back. So we haven't really invested in that position. So maybe it's a case that we, we got to a standard we were happy with, and then we, we needed to fill out the rest of the players, and we can see like the great midfield players we've signed, uh, and uh, you know the goalkeeping cover we've brought in. So maybe we, maybe we need someone... Um, who is going to be the next generation of the players we've got. Not someone, I say, so it's neither someone who's young and hungry like an 18-year-old, like a Domingos Kina, who's just going to turn up in the car park and, uh, and, and sign for us. Um, but neither do we need like a Filippo Galli player at the end of his career just to kind of steady the ship like we may have done in previous years in the championship when we're trying to avoid relegation. So I think what we, ideally what we want is somebody, you know, maybe like early 20s, who's got some professional football under their belt maybe not in England or maybe in a in a in a in a lower league, um and can come in and, and can get some some you know make some good set some good roots in what's left of this season so that next season they're in, they're they're ready to play in the in the Premier League. Um so I guess it's neither neither kind of young I mean if we get a young and hungry player brilliant, but I don't think we need a player who can give us six months and then move on. Is it the same type of player you think we're gonna need for up front or are you after of a specific big fella, little fella, what is it, what is it we need? If I'd say who, I want in, who I'd want in defence, it would be a, a John McClellan character. You know, a leader, someone who, who can do it all, who's going to provide leadership, who's going to be part, you know, play the role that a John Terry played at, at, at Chelsea. You know, that kind of talisman, iconic player who's going to be with us for a long time. Up front, um, I would want somebody who's going to score goals. Uh, and that would be their kind of main uh, objective. You know, if you look at our, our, none of our strikers are prolific. The last kind of prolific striker we had is probably Galo, and he was prolific in in, in bouts. Um, I was looking at Peñaranda's stats. He doesn't score very frequently. He's listed as like a forward stroke winger. So I don't think he's going to be the answer to goal scoring. The way we play opens up spaces for, for midfielders to score. But up front, I mean, you'd want, you know, if you could, if you could cross... Luther Blissett with Kevin Phillips, um, you know, I'd take I'd take them. We'll hit this guy wherever he might be because I think we need someone who's just got that, who's going to score lots of goals, who's got the, that instinct. I think we you know as well as we're doing this season, the grumbles we've had have been low level grumbles, but things like the game against Bournemouth where it was just bad defending cost us. Games against Fulham and Arsenal, for example, it was a lack of kind of a clinical finisher that we were moaning about. You know, I mentioned Fulham and, and Huddersfield. Anyone they bring in has to make an immediate impact. And the difference that they're, that could be the difference between relegation and survival. For us, it might be the difference between 12th and 7th. Yes, it would be nice to finish higher up the league. And yes, I'd like to see players come in who are going to improve the squad. But I think the margin of, of um, improvement and what we get out of it, if we're not sure we're getting the right player, I don't think we need to bring anyone in. And that's what the Potsos aren't going to do. Then the Potsos aren't going to do that, are they? They are going to only ever bring in a player who they they truly understand and they truly believe in uh, and they, they get. Um, they're not going to make some crazy punt on anybody who, who you know, might disturb the ship. No, that's right. And I think we need to, we need to overlay what we know about the, about the Potso and the Scott Duxbury model of signings to 
over our expectations because, as you say, John, they're not going to just take a punt with 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 a, with a load of money. They're not going to sign someone who's who's old that probably won't have a have a resale resale value because because Geordie's absolutely right. I have to say, Geordie, this is this is why I love having you on the pod with those incredibly bold statements such as um, what would you what do you want from your striker someone that would score goals I mean <laughs> well yes quite but, but, we, but when was the last time we really had someone who was a, a clinical goal getter you know I know I know, and but I think your I think your point is a good one, um, Geordie, about Huddersfield, um, Cardiff, those guys who are struggling down the bottom. They need someone who's going to come in and, and hit, hit ten goals for them straight away. You suggested that the difference between ours could be the difference. A good striker could be the difference between thirteenth, twelfth, seventh, and sixth. And I think you're absolutely right. I think if 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 somehow we can get that defence sorted out, whether whether the addition of a um, of a decent that's not not fair saying decent, but a an improvement into terms of a, a centre-back and someone who can score we can rely on for 15 16 17 goals um a season I think that puts us firmly in the shake-up for comfortably the top eight um I think going back to what we said at the the top of this this segment about about not being a frenetic transfer window not needing loads I, I think that's so true I think we're in touching distance of an incredibly powerful talented squad that could do some do some serious things which is why I think I was so frustrated before Christmas when we weren't we weren't picking up as many points as I think we deserve because it just feels like we're we're so close and I think it's I think it is a matter of a couple of decent signings if we can get them right I think we really genuinely are looking at the at the top Six, not not into the top six, but seventh, sixth, eighth around there, and I think that's that's the difference for us. And I think we need to understand that. I think we need to recognise that to to get to bridge that gap, it, it gets increasingly harder. It gets much much harder to find players who can take you up that that level. We talked about how that some of those players that came in the championship season, you know, players like um, Connolly, Matt Connolly, who um, you know the the promotion specialist, he helped us out, didn't he? And I think it's it's easy easier to find players to get you into the Premier League. It's then easier, it's, and then it's slightly more difficult to find players um, to keep you in the Premier League. It's then slightly different, difficult, more difficult again to keep you in the Premier League comfortably. And I think, as Geordie said earlier, I think we're there. I think we have got a team and a squad that's going to keep us in the Premier League this year comfortably. And that's the first time that I'll say that. Certainly at this stage in the year, but I think we need to recognise that closing the next gap is incredibly difficult. Let's look at our friends, our new friends up, up in the up in the north on the Mersey, uh, Everton. Look at the amount of money they've spent, the, the the outgoings that they've invested, the the heartache they've invested in 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 a new in a new in getting the head coach they wanted. They've spent what is it a quarter of a billion, um, yet still they struggle. That shows how difficult it is to to operate in the upper echelons of the of the Premier League, and I think we do well to remember that. We're doing well. We're incredibly well positioned, um, and yes, it's slightly frustrating that we feel like probably, you know, to take it down to brass tacks, really simplistically, a new centre back and a and a goal scoring striker that's going to get us ten goals for the rest of the season. We will have an incredible. I think we'll have an incredible second half of the season. It just is. It just isn't that easy, though, is it? Let's hope so. You know, they've pulled gems out of the bag. You mentioned Iggy. You mentioned Igalo. I think when he signed, no one expected him to do what he did in the Premier League. But he forged that incredible partnership with uh, with Troy, and the rest is history. So it has been done. We know the scouting network is good. 
January's been very hit or miss, so we're going to need a bit of luck. We're going to need a reversal of recent trends if we are going to um, bring in the personnel that, that 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 we want. But here's hoping we're in we're in a better position than the lot. Uh, the scouting network is good. Let's get them out. Let them get on with it and and, and see who they bring in. That's it. Our trust in the scouting network and in the and the in the club's model is probably you know if you if you were, if it was a computer game, it's like fan confidence a hundred percent. You know we let them go on with it. If they go out and bring in a goalkeeper or a central midfielder, you know, we're not, it's not, the reaction isn't going to be, why are we getting him? We don't need him. It'll be like, this guy must be good. Maybe he'll be good in a couple of years time because that's, that's how the potsos work. They'll bring in who is available, who is the right person right now. Not, they won't try and fill a gap and, and put us a, a square peg in a round hole, for example, just to give us a defender or a striker because like, you know, as we said before, we're not in desperation measures. The window will still be open until uh, Sky Sports make a big sound effect and ring some sort of bell. Uh, but uh, something will happen. Let's wait and see what does. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Any thoughts and feelings on the transfer window you may have, do give us a shout on our socials at Watford Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and of course, you can always email us, podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Let's head back over to Selhurst Park for part three uh, to Kieran, Colin and Mike. Yes, thank you, John. Kieran here with Mike and Colin. Mike, the game today marks the two-year anniversary since the great man himself, GT Pass. I saw you tweeting this morning, even two years on, still lives long in our hearts, doesn't he? Doesn't get any easier when you have to talk about it either. No, and it still blindsides me a little bit. Sometimes I could be doing the most mundane task and I will think about Graham Taylor and then I'll think that he's passed on and it, and it still takes me by surprise. It still saddens me greatly and it, and it still upsets me. But what has happened in the passing of that time is, you know, the, the grief process, and it is grief with, with someone like GT, is such that you learn to remember the, the smile that is on my face when you think about Graham Taylor is, is without fail, a huge one. Uh, my heart soars and I've got nothing but warm feelings about him. And, and I'm grateful. And I'm grateful and proud that Graham Taylor was a part of Watford Football Club and therefore a part of my life. And uh, days like this uh, are important to me. I won't lie. I had, a little, I had a little tear this morning when I woke up and had a look through the social media and people were sharing thoughts like mine. Watford shared that beautiful video. And I had a little, I had a little tear. I'm not ashamed to say that at all. And I think days like this are important to, to take stock, remember, doff our cap, raise a glass to what was an incredible man. And I think we should all be consider ourselves lucky to, to have been uh, had, had him as part of our lives. The other thing, of course, is that if he was alive, he would be absolutely loving what's going on. And he yeah, would yeah. be at games and he would be supporting the team in the way that he always did. So, yeah. I, I think the thing about G2, the penny really dropped for me when Arlo asked about him. My son, he's seven now, he's five at the time. He obviously knew who Graham Taylor was, but he... It dawned on me that I hadn't actually explained what happened under Graham Taylor and, and, and Arlo asked about him and I told him and it occurred to me while I was telling him what happened that it was actually a literal fairy tale. For a football supporter he delivered something beyond magical up through the divisions, FA Cup final, Europe and this is when football was you know, worse in some respects but a lot purer in others and I told my son a real life fairy tale and I think that's incredible to be able to pass that on and that's why we get goosebumps talking about a guy like Graham Taylor that's why we we love that guy and it's a lot of the reason why I love Watford Football Club as well so so yeah 
We had a lot of fun last week, didn't we? At Woking, it was like going back in time, standing on the terraces in the in the fourth division. Not so much for myself, a little bit too young for those days, but it was an FA Cup victory over Woking. One of GT's greatest achievements was taking us through to the FA Cup final in 1984. The draw was made this week, Colin, for the next round of the Cup. We've got Newcastle or Blackburn away. We're awaiting the result of the replay in that tie. What did you make of that? Well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a glamour tie. Uh, it would have been nice to have had Atkins and Stanley at home, maybe. Um, the thing about the FA Cup is, I think so much of it is draw dependent. When we got to the semi-final against Palace, we had a pretty easy run to the quarter-final, managed to beat Arsenal, and then had Palace a very winnable game, which we failed to win. And you need to have that kind of draw, I think, if you're Watford to, to go deep in the competition. If you get Tottenham followed by City, followed by Chelsea, the chances are one of them is going to knock you out. So obviously, we've been to Newcastle a fair amount. Actually, I think I would prefer personally to go to Newcastle. I think there there are more beatable opposition Blackburn are doing very well in the championship they're up for the cup because obviously uh, they're a championship side and it's a big a big thing for them Newcastle I don't think Rafa's very interested in the cup he's more interested in surviving in the league which he's called a miracle if they do it so I think we've probably got a better chance at Newcastle but I personally would like to go to Blackburn because I, I haven't been to Ewood Park before and uh, I would really enjoy going there and I'm looking forward to it I love the cup and I really really hope that the, the club that Javi and the players take it seriously and really give it everything they've got I thought we did a fantastically professional job against Woking no one got injured no suspension we saw the game out they never really had a sniff got our goals went home thank you very much let's hope we can do that again I think it's, it's, it's important to see the FA Cup through everyone's lens as well because as, as supporters of a particular generation we've been to most of the grounds now um, and so, but you can understand some of the younger generation they've never seen us play Luton for example so they're looking for a tie there there's younger generation you know I mentioned Arlo earlier he'd probably like to go to the draw of Accrington Stanley or, or even Blackburn you know Premier League winners but is less glamorous for, for a younger generation supporter so you have to remember that the cup is a lot of different things to a lot of, a lot of different people and I often think there's no such thing as the perfect draw, is there? Because it's either, you know, we're all at Woking laughing at each other because we're like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a banana skin, we're going to be the, this is going to be the biggest ever upset in, in the Premier League. But of course we deal with it and it's a, it's a non-event game. It wasn't, it was in, the day was enjoyable, but the game wasn't because we just dealt with it. So I think the FA Cup is, is going through some growing pains at the moment, isn't it? And I think we need to recognise that it's a lot of things to a lot of different people. As for the draw... I'm with Colin. I'd rather go to to Weewood Park. It's more, it's more, a little bit more romantic. A little, uh, we haven't played there for a little while. We we'll get to see Danny Graham again. Um, I think Blackburn would be up for it. They probably might offer a, a sterner, sterner opposition than than Newcastle, which may sound ridiculous looking at their various league positions. But look, we talk about we talk about Graham Taylor and what he wanted Watford to do was go on and achieve. He wanted, he knew it, it's a game for the people. Was his is his favourite favourite famous quote. What more for the, for the Watford people than going and winning a trophy? Let's get our name etched on the FA Cup. We've never done it, um, so I don't think we should be picky yeah. about who we get in the fourth round. Let's let's go for it. Graham Taylor famously said when he left the club, I think that my successor, will, I want my successor to do better than me. I want my successor, <laughs> a successor of mine, to do better than I have done. Which means we have to win the Premier League or we have to win the FA Cup. So let's start with the FA Cup. Burnley next week. I don't really know what to expect from Burnley because they are not the Burnley of last season. We got a tremendous result up there earlier in the season. 
what do we expect from them next week and what is going to be the key to trying to, to get back-to-back wins? It's going to be very difficult. Sean Dyche will beat them, set them up to be difficult to, to beat. Um, I think Sean Dyche is, you know, we can we, we have a go at Eddie Howe and Bournemouth. I think I think dyche has got a touch of the old moaning at refs, hasn't he? He's not he's not shy about getting off his bench clears, um, gets into the ear of the referee. It's going to be a tricksy, nasty little game it'll be really hard I think Burnley are struggling they're fragile uh, I think again they've, they're, they're struggling defensively and they're struggling to score um, so on, on paper you know Watford should, should fancy it especially after 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 good wins like this but we struggled against Newcastle at home didn't we where I thought they were, they were a poor side as well so they just need to carry on doing what they're doing. We need to get the best out of our best players and we'll have too much for a team like Burnley. Like ultimately we had too much for, for Crystal Palace today. Those guys if the, if everyone holds each other to account, everyone steps up, then then Burnley there's a Premier League football match. It's always going to be difficult and part of the joy about following Watford this season is anything could happen. We're unlikely to get a stuffing, but we could we're always going to create chances. We could we can turn in a brilliant result. We can get one by the skin of our teeth today, or it could be the, the, the carnage of Bournemouth. Anything could happen with Watford. And I'm really enjoying that at the moment, and I think we've earned Watford, the team out there, have given us the right to turn up to these games with a spring in our step to enjoy it and not panic, not worry. I'd like more consistency still in the in the in the in the performance, in the final delivery, in, in what we actually produce, what we deliver from these games. I'd like more consistency there, and I'd love to see us routine 2-0 win against Burnley they, they're going to fight tooth and nail they'll make it difficult they'll, they'll be asking for yellow cards they'll be moaning about Pereira diving they'll be this they'll be that stay focused and let's have a routine win uh, and let's keep climbing up the table it'll be difficult historically we've always struggled following up these away wins with, with decent performances at home I don't think we, we find it slightly harder at home perhaps I don't know yeah, I think he relishes playing against us I think he still feels he's got a bit of a point to prove I still think he thinks some of our lot of fancy dance and he likes to stick it up him. but I think if we play well we can, we can turn him over quite quite comfortably I think the difference with it, between the Burnley game and say the Newcastle game is that Rafa really does set up to just defend and it was the first time we'd really seen that this season that a team came in literally sat with eight nine men behind the ball for the whole game they got you know and in the end we were we were maybe lucky to get the draw but I don't think Dyche will do that I think Dyche will they've just won again today against Fulham so they're, 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 they're having a, they're in a decent run of form at the moment they've, they've got over the sort of terrible first half of the season. I think they won three out of the last four or something like that. So they're climbing the table. They'll, they'll certainly come and think that they can get something uh, against us, which will probably help us a little bit. They're not going to come and uh, and do what um, West Brom and Stoke and teams like that did. Everton did it last year under under Allardyce. You know, early in the season, just sat back and waited, and in the end, we won one nil. So uh, you, you, you think that Dyche's team will come and attack us, and, and it will be a bit of blood and thunder. But hopefully, we'll have enough quality to to just create the chances that they can't create and take them and 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 go forward. I must say, having given Sean Dyche a bit of a coating there, I have to go on record and say we've spoken to him a lot on the podcast. And whilst I think he's sort of posturing about referees and he's he does like a moan, he is. A terrific guy. We still have a, a lot of time for, for Sean Dyche, and I'll be uh, I'll be glad to see him back at Watford. From a podcast point of view, he's been he's been brilliant for us. Yeah. So I'm always glad to see Sean Dyche back at Vicarage Road. Yeah.